Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Andrea Pearson. And I'm Joe Lalo. And we're going to be talking about cover design today, everything from common mistakes authors make to how to have a good relationship with and get everything you need from a designer. Uh, as you know, the cover is seriously the most important part of the package, and uh, readers totally judge a book by its cover. So we have invited today cover designer and fantasy author Rebecca Haskell. She's the mastermind behind Vivid Covers, a cover design service that specializes in sci-fi and fantasy. And she has also recently authored and released the book, Cover Your Book, an author's guide to working with a designer to maximize your sales. Welcome, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your path? It looks like you write and you design and you kind of do it all. Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell the story again. Just, Jeff's going to hate it. My husband, he's um, Jeff Haskell. He's a superhero author. Uh, and I actually started, uh, I've done graphic design most of my life. Um, but uh, in 2007, I decided that I was going to write a book. I had, well, I'd always wanted to, but I was going to get serious now. I was going to seriously write a book. And so I started in on that. And quickly realized that I wasn't a good enough writer to write the kind of stories that I wanted to tell. So um, I realized that this was like going to be a long-term project um, because at the time self-pub wasn't really, that wasn't really a thing yet. Um, and as it sort of became a thing, <laughs> I don't, I, it's cause I'm chicken. Okay. I remember watching the beginnings of the indie revolution and just thinking in the back of my head, I'm just going to see how this shakes out, you know? <laughs> to see where all the chips land, which of course was just me being, you know, cowardly. Um, but around that time, some of my uh, author friends uh, started to, or writer friends, uh, wanted to self-publish some of their stuff. And they were like, hey, we need covers. Uh, you're a designer, you're a graphic designer, you could help me with this. And that's, that's how I started into cover design. And it wasn't until, it wasn't until, um, it was, it was really funny because my identity had always been as a writer uh, in the in the author community that had always been my identity as a writer. And my husband in 2016, he thought, you know, hey, I, I could write a book. <laughs> Maybe I could write a book. And so now I'm the author's wife. <laughs> I'm not sure how that happened. <laughs> um, but uh, he's like, honey, you can't have all the things. You can't have, you can't be an artist and a writer. But um, so I still, I still do have been working on my fiction and I am releasing those books at the end of the year, if all goes according to plan. But, uh, the doing, doing covers, especially in the science fiction and fantasy realm, which has always been just my love. Um, it's been a dream job. Just, I, I get to paint cool pictures of awesome stuff. It's, it's just a blast. And I love, I, I love the process, not just it's not just the artwork, you know, the artwork is really, really fun, but like the, the process of trying to figure out with an author, what the marketing side of it, this marketing side that goes along with the art, trying to figure out with the author, what part of their book needs to end up on the cover and what's going to bring the readers that they want to their book. You know, that's, it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So yeah, it's a little hard to keep the fiction rolling out when you decide to start a business on the side <laughs> or has the primary source of income. I have noticed that. I've noticed that, yes. Writing stalled out a little bit there for a while. I think I did I I did finally finally realize there's just I don't know, there's just something missing. There's something missing 
with me not writing. And, and I, I never felt like one of those, I always felt a little bit like, I'm not sure if I really am a writer because I would hear other writers say things like, oh, I couldn't not write. I would die if I didn't not write, you know, just, <laughs> I cannot write or I can write, you know, it just, I have a lot of creative outlets. I just have to pick, I decide which one's the most important one, you know? So I don't think I cannot, I, well, I don't know. I guess I relate a little bit more to that now because it's been a few years and I'm like, you know, I really need to, I really need to write some stories. You know, I'm starting to feel the need to do that anyway. Uh, what made you decide, well, when did you start deciding to charge for covers instead of just doing it for other people? And what made you decide to like really niche down and do sci-fi and fantasy? I don't think I've seen anybody just kind of specialize in one genre before. Well, I think the time that the, about the time that most artists start to charge, uh, uh, for their work is when it starts to consume a lot of time. <laughs> it starts to take up a lot of time and you're like, if I'm going to keep doing this, I'm going to have to get paid. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I think, uh, and for a while there, I did really go broad and I, uh, I did covers for every genre that I could think of. Um, but I just, I just enjoyed, I enjoyed the sci-fi and the fantasy more. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I also, I started illustrating covers more than I, I use photo composite, um, or 3D. So, uh, sci-fi and fantasy in particular, a couple of the genres where that's just, that's more common is to have, uh, just a purely illustrated cover. Whereas there are other genres where that's not really, that's not whether uh, you can, you can't, you could bust in there to contemporary romance with a fully illustrated cover, but it's, it's not going to do the things that you need it to do because every genre has its own conventions. So I kind of feel like just enjoying, I enjoyed it more, you know, and when you are, when you're spending like, when you're spending 60 hours a week painting, you kind of need to enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? Kind of, I, I feel like it's on par with writing. You need to enjoy the stories that you are writing because you are spending so much time in that space if you don't enjoy it, it's going to become a slog real fast, you know? So. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, I'm an author slash cover designer. Um, I did all my own book covers and one of them won a, an award and it's, I'm also a mom, you know? And so like this past year I was like, I can't do all the things. <laughs> and so I, <laughs> I finally started hiring it out and you know, I've, I've been mostly pleased with it. It's just been, mm -hmm. yeah, it's been interesting. That handing over control. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's kind of the thing with, with indie authors is that there's, I mean, there's so much that you could do yourself. You just have to decide, should you, you know, is yeah. that something that you should be doing? Is that the best place for you to put your time? Yeah, exactly. And I miss, writing instead? <laughs> yeah. I, I miss doing it though, you know, cause I am an artist, you know, and I, mm -hmm. I paint, I do, mm -hmm. I used to do commission paintings, like oil paintings and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I, I miss that, but every now and then I'll, I'll just grab, you know, Photoshop and I'll start a project. And my husband's like, mm -hmm. are you creating a book cover? Because <laughs> <laughs> I also tend to stress a lot while I'm doing it. You know, I'm like, oh, it's not where I want it. <laughs> but, and he doesn't see that side in the writing because it's all mm -hmm. in my brain, you know? Right. So, it's all internal. So maybe yeah. it, to him, it seems like art is a more stressful process for you. <laughs> yes. Um, anyway, so yeah, so speaking from experience then, um, a title can make or break 
the design of a cover from what I, you know, from my own experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've changed typography multiple times because the length of the title didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've also changed my title several times because it didn't work for the font that I really wanted. Mm-hmm. So what sorts of mistakes do designers and authors make when it comes to, ty- to typography? And should authors keep design in mind when titling their books? Uh, I am a little jealous of you that you had the freedom to change your title when it didn't yeah. work for the font because, I mean, the number of times I can go to a client and say, you've got to change your title, that's not, <laughs> not going to fly. I think the biggest, the biggest issue really is uh, a very long fun word title is when you can, don't have the freedom to split it up onto separate lines and to vary the size of the, of the, of the, typog- of the font in the various words that it just really, really limits you. Ideally, you want your title to take up at least between a fifth and a third, uh, not a fifth and third, uh, a fourth and a fifth, between a fourth and a fifth of your, or more of your cover, okay, at least. Once you start getting less than a fifth of your cover, it just, it looks weird, it's, it's odd. I am personally not one of those people that feels like it's super important to have a legible title from the thumbnail. Uh, sure, if you can, that's fine. But there are very few places in which people are going to see a thumbnail of your book and not see the title next to it. There's just not a whole lot of context where that's going to occur. Um, so if you can get a legible title at a thumbnail, that's great. You know, go for it. Usually that means that, that it's a more streamlined um, design and it has good contrast. Um, but I don't necessarily think it's super important to be able to read the cover from the thumbnail view. Um, but it just is the proportional wise, it starts to look off. It starts to look a little bit weird. That's actually one of the things watching beginning designers or author DIYers doing their own covers. One of the mistakes almost all of them make right off the bat is they, their, their, their title text is too small. It's just too small. Um, and it really needs to fill, um, co- uh, from the, from side to side, it needs to fill that with a little bit of a, in print, we'd call it a one fourth inch gap, gap, but obviously that doesn't uh, equate to, to pixels. So I can't give you like a pixel size, maybe, I don't know, 50, 100, I, anyway, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna embarrass myself right here, not knowing. <laughs> you want a little bit of a margin on either side, but you really want to, to make use of your real estate. And the problem with a really, really long one word title is that, uh, in order to get everything on the one line, you have to shrink it down real far. Um, so that can be problematic. I would personally rather have a very long multi-word title than to have a one-word title with a, a really long, long word. It can't hurt to think about design. I don't know. I don't know if it's absolutely necessary to like go and change your titles. Um, I always think it's a good idea to think about design when you're making your choices, you know what I'm saying? Because ultimately the the cover is the cover is not the book. The important part of the book, of course, is the book, okay? But the cover gets people to the book, you know? That's the first door that you have to enter through. And so the less complicated you can make that process for yourself, the easier it is to get to the point where readers are actually going to be judging your book on on the words you've written versus the packaging that you put around it not to like not not to like put down the the role of the cover it's it's really important work that it's doing the packaging is important and people will judge you on that packaging whether or not you think it's important and whether or not you put time or money into it you know it's going to make an impact on 
on the readers that you're able to reach. Um, but as writers, you want to get to that point as smoothly as possible where they're actually judging your words, you know, where they're judging the actual product, you know? I've definitely seen some covers that are with longer titles and it's like, the title is the whole thing, you know, taking up the page. And I don't know if other authors think about it, but I always think like whatever I do for the first book, I'm like, well, that's the font we picked. So now I'm going to have to stick with like short two word titles for the rest of it. Cause I don't want to make it hard on the designer. So. Yeah. Something to keep in mind, I guess. <laughs> so every genre is going to be different for covers, of course, but what are some common things that we should be thinking about when, you know, I like that you talk, you're talking about, I'm thinking about the marketing too, not just like, mm -hmm. let's make it look cool. Like, mm -hmm. what should we be keeping in mind when we're, you know, especially for newer authors wanting to hopefully create a cover that really works with the genre? I think one of the things is a book cover isn't just art, okay? And I think that's one of the things that can be a little bit of struggle if you are sourcing your artwork from someone who is just is an illustrator but doesn't have a lot of experience in book covers. A book cover it really is its own animal, and it needs to speak a certain language depending on the genre that you're in. And there are other things that you need to keep in mind, like the fact that if it's going to be a wrap, you don't want to put anything too busy on the spine. Otherwise, nobody will be able to read the text on the spine. Or when you're creating the artwork, you need to have some, some headroom there for the title, you know, small stuff like that. And also like the marketing side of it, like what kind of symbols are you using? to cue in your, your target uh, reader. So covers, there's a lot more to having a cover than it just being a pretty picture, you know? I think the biggest thing that uh, authors, I think, need to keep in mind is first, I, I think it's really important. I think it's really important. Um, if you, if there is a gap in your knowledge or expertise, especially if you're like, an, if, if you are a newer author and maybe you don't know the industry super well is to make sure you don't pair up the gap in your knowledge with a gap in your designer's knowledge. Does that make sense? If, if you're not sure what you're doing, make sure you hire someone who really does. <laughs> and then you have a little bit more flexibility when you really, really know what you're doing and you really know what, what you're going for. Then you have a little bit uh, more flexibility in, you know, who you work with because whatever gap there is in their expertise, you can fill that in. Does that make sense? Um, I think it's really important for authors to be flexible. I think it's natural when you're writing a book to like have this idea in your head of what's going to look really cool on the cover. The problem being is if you're not an artist or if you're not a designer, there's a lot of things that you're not considering. You're not considering things like contrast, negative space, and how, how busy is the image going to look? Are you going to be able to create the right focal points? Are you going to get all the lines going in the right direction? I have a, a client that I, I love, love working with. And he sends me little hilarious, okay, whiteboard mock-ups for his discovers. And, um, and he doesn't have a whole lot of, he's actually pretty good at typography, typography, but not, not, not an artist. Um, and there will be times where I'll have to draw over his mock-up and show him this is why this doesn't work because this line's coming from this direction, this line's coming from this direction, and they're going to just look weird, and you're not going to—it's going to be uncomfortable to look at. So when you're coming at it from a point of view of this would be cool, but you don't have necessarily the artistic experience to know why it may or may not work, um, I think it's important to be flexible. I love it when clients come to me and they say, I think this would look cool. And then we can talk about it. But it, 
I can, I can guarantee, I, I can guarantee you that a cover will not end up being in my portfolio. <laughs> Usually when the author comes to me and says, I need this, 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 and this, I need this, this area of her hair needs to come to this and we need this over here and we need a space battle in the background and there needs to be a certain color of light coming in from this side and when they're super prescriptive about how it goes I know it's going to be a hot mess because there's no there's no room for me to uh to do what I'm good at and I think a lot of um what what a lot of authors don't realize when they're being super prescriptive in that way is that they are robbing themselves of part of what they're paying for in their designer is you're not just paying for a Photoshop monkey, someone to like click the mouse for you, you know, you're paying for somebody who knows um, color palette and knows contrast and knows uh, how to make the lines and image flow together so that it feels comfortable when you look at it. And so when you're super prescriptive with, with exactly how it needs to look, you, you basically, you're eliminating that part of your designer's value. I'll just throw in that I have made the mistake of, uh, you know, because in sci-fi and fantasy, like you were saying, illustrations are pretty common and they can look really cool. But it's actually pretty rare, as you, I'm sure you know, to find a designer who does illustrations and cover design. So you end up finding a cool illustrator and getting the pictures drawn and then not realizing you should have told them, hey, we need not much going on in the bottom so we can put the title down there. <laughs> <laughs> or like the heroine's head is where, you know, right. the name's going to go. Mm -hmm. Yep. I actually, I remember some of my earlier cover designs and illustrations. And when it got time to put the text on, I was like, oh crap, I have done, I have made a mistake because <laughs> there was nowhere to put the text that wasn't like in a really awkward place, like across the top of someone's forehead or something like that, you know, and we had to do some quick remedial work. But those are the things that you, you don't necessarily think about. I have done a lot. I've gotten illustrations from a lot of people who've never done book covers before. And basically, the only thing I ever tell them about book covers is, give me some dead space about one third near the top or near the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, other than that, go crazy. I could fix the rest. Mm -hmm. But uh, all right, so authors generally envision things as scenes. I think that's fair mm -hmm. to say. And I think, therefore, the average author is pretty likely to want to pull a scene from their book to be the cover. Uh, mm -hmm. Is it a good idea to have a scene as the cover of your book? Or is that likely to be a thing that's a little too complex for a book cover? In my experience, it's almost never a good idea to try to translate a scene directly to a cover um, for a couple of reasons. One of those reasons is that you're very unlikely to have a scene in your book that has all of the necessary symbology that you need on a cover. Um, what I was talking about earlier about how covers are language, they're communication. There are certain symbols that um, readers of a genre identify with. They see those symbols and they have an emotional response when they see those symbols. And that emotional response is kind of a little microcosm of the experience that they have had reading books in that genre. And that's why they love that genre. That's why they keep on coming back to that genre is because they're looking to repeat that emotional experience. There are specific symbols in every genre that trigger that emotional response on a, on a small level for the person looking at it. And uh, let's just take epic fantasy, for example. Castles, dragons, swords, cloaks are a big one. You stick a cloak on somebody, you know. Um, uh, big sweeping vistas, uh, daggers, you know, that's a few, a few of the symbols. And what, what you're trying to do 
when you're communicating with the cover is to get as many of those, I don't want to say, I don't want to say get as many of those symbols as possible, but you do want to hit as many as you can within the boundaries of good design. It's really important not to clutter a design just because of the way the human eye works. The human eye wants to prioritize, it wants to identify and then prioritize everything in a visual image. That's how we work. Our eyes work on um, silhouette, whereas some animals in the animal kingdom, they work on color or on movement. Ours work on silhouette. We want to be able to identify the silhouette of something to understand what it is. And then we want to understand exactly what in the image, the one thing that is the most important. I guess it, it's probably an evolutionary trait. I'm imagining if you're in the jungle, there's tree, 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 jaguar, tree, tree, tree. You want to be able to tell which of those shapes is the most important and relevant to you. So if you have a really busy design and it's really hard to tell which is the most important detail, it, it creates a sense of, of, you feel a little bit uncomfortable looking at the image. That's, and that's not what, <laughs> that's not the kind of sensation you want to evoke in your viewer. You don't want them to be uncomfortable because they'll look away, you know? Um, it'll be confusing and uncomfortable. So you, you really have to, you have to be selective about uh, you have to be selective about the symbols that you're putting in and making sure all of those symbols have, are, are saying the right thing. Um, and it's a very curated process of trying to decide, um, which symbols say the right thing to communicate with the reader who's going to really enjoy your book. And it's very unlikely that you're going to have a scene in your book that does all of that work, that does all of that heavy lifting. Um, there are times when you can interpret scenes, but as long as you're willing to like be a little flexible and maybe be a little bit metaphorical, you know, and this is, this element is going to be in the image. It's not actually there in the scene from the book, but we need it there to communicate that it's a fairy tale retelling fantasy, not just straight fantasy. You know, you know what I'm saying? You need to have a little bit more flexibility to pull in other elements. So generally speaking, the couple of reasons why I think that it's, it's difficult to translate a scene specifically is because you won't necessarily have all of the right elements in the scene. And also because when it's a scene from the book, I found that authors get really, really hung up on um, being super faithful to the details that are written in the book. They get really hung up on, well, that's not actually the way that it goes in the book. That's not actually the way that it looks. And they really, really want to, I understand the allure of wanting to communicate what's in your head to the person who's seeing the image um, because you have this cool thing in your brain and you want other people to see it. And you want to make sure they're seeing it exactly the way you're seeing it. It's just, it usually doesn't, it, it, it usually doesn't complement good design. It's not helpful for good design. So while uh, I, again, I think it's totally cool for you to come at your designer with, I have the scene from the book. It's a really cool scene. If, if that would work as a cover, I would love to see that work as a cover. As long as you have that flexibility of saying it might not be identical to the way that it happens in the book. I've actually had some authors that get so stuck on the, it needs to be exact that they have, after the cover is done, they go back and edit their manuscript so that it better fits the cover. And honestly, that's a better way to do it. If you're, if you're comfortable doing that, fine, do that. Um, but I've absolutely, I've absolutely done that. <laughs> but the opposite of here's here's one thing I want I want to bring up that authors I, they don't like listening to this when I say it. 
the, the accuracy of the details in your cover literally don't matter. They don't. It doesn't matter. It does not matter if your protagonist hair color is the right. It doesn't matter. Um, there are certain things that, that do matter that can be a little bit frustrating. Like I know, for instance, um, I've heard some people complain that they will see a cool looking female character on the cover of a lit RPG book and then open up the book and that's not the main character. And they're like, what the heck? That, she looks so awesome. That's why I wanted to read it. And now it's about some Joe Blow that I don't care about, you know? So it needs to have some relevance to your novel, obviously. But the specific details, here's the thing is, the cover is not for you. It's not for the author. And it's not for the person who has already read the book or who is reading the book. It's for the person who hasn't read the book. That's who the cover is for. And by the time they're aware that the hair color is off, it doesn't matter. They've already bought the book. And if the book is good, they won't care. You know what I'm saying? Um, so the cover really is for that reader who knows nothing about your story is to bring them in and say, this is, this is a book that you will enjoy using the right symbols and language to say, this is the kind of book that you want to read. And once you get past that milestone, it's done its job. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the absolute accuracy, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have it exactly the way you want it. And you shouldn't have the, the hair color right and have all the details perfect, but understand um, and, and if you have the coin for that, to get that kind of customization on your cover, that's, that's cool. Just understand that that's for you. That is to make you like, and it is important. It is important that an author enjoys their cover. It is important that you look at your book and you're like, that's my book. You know, you don't, you don't want to look at your book and feel disappointed. That's never a good feeling. Right. But understand that that extra mile, that's for you. It's not necessarily for your prospective reader. Now you sort of brought this up with what you were saying, but like another another like common trope in advertising is that sex sells, and uh, I know my cover designer, who I absolutely love, has a tendency if I don't give him specific guidance to sort of crank up the uh, the uh, uh, I don't want to say the the, the temperature of the cover a little bit, you know, <laughs> and uh, so if I let him off the off the the, the leash, then he will present cleavage at the very least. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. Is that a good idea? Is that going to sell books? Well, it depends on the type of book that you're selling. There is an audience that will be put off by that, you know, um, and it says different things. Like, for instance, in the in the in the romance uh, um, genres, the subgenres of romance, um, you use varying levels of skin and hinting at intimacy in order to communicate the level of heat in your book. Okay, so if you have a super steamy, you know, romance. You better have a man chest on there, okay? Otherwise, the sweet romance crowd is going to think that that's a book for them, and they're going to be really angry. <laughs> when when that's what you want to avoid is you want to avoid miscommunicating what kind of book it is um, to to your audience. And there is there is an audience that's going to respond really really well to the cleavage, um, and if that's the kind of book that you're writing and that's the audience you're trying to reach, that's that's go for it, you know. Um, but just, I kind of feel like in advertising, the sex sells things, the sex sells everything. Okay. Uh, I have seen, uh, a hot, you know, scantily clad girl used to sell everything from skis to face wash to toilet paper. You know, it just, that's just not how it works with books. It says something about what the content is on the inside. And so if there's a mismatch there, 
that's what you want to avoid. You want to avoid people saying, oh, I bet that's got some, some naughty bits, you know, and either being disappointed when there aren't or people thinking that there won't be and then being confronted with something they didn't want in the first place, you know? Yeah, really good points. And I love that you made a comment about hair color because that was one of the problems I ran into because in my universe that like four or five series are based off of uh, their magic is based on their hair color. And so one of my series is about a redhead and you can't find attractive redheads. I'm sorry to all the redheads out there. There's not a lot of redheads who are like plentiful. And so I put a brunette on there. And in the first book, I explained she dyes her hair. (laughs) So my characters are like, why is there a brunette on this cover? Why is there a brunette? I'm like, read the book. (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah, so I had to, yeah, had to get around I that. I think There's in a... that case, in the, that case of their hair color is like plot relevant. Yeah, yeah. get it right. You know, if you can, if you can yeah. manage it, get that right. Yeah. In most and, cases, that's not, that's not the situation. Yeah, no kidding. No, but I mean, there are a lot of, a lot of attractive redheads, but not ones that have enough material for like a 10 book series. <laughs> so. Right, exactly. There's, there's certain models that, that designers, you'll notice them. You'll notice it if you pay enough, enough attention to book covers they'll go back, uh, uh, designers will go back to just a small handful of models over and over and over again, because yeah. those models have enough photographs available on micro stock sites yeah. to make a series out of it. Otherwise, yeah. she's going to look different on every cover. And yep. that's another way to do it if you want to, but most people would prefer that feeling of consistency. Yeah. And, and for my Western romances to avoid that, because there's not a lot of Western couples out there, mm-hmm. I did silhouettes and then added a hat. <laughs> one of the characters very clever very clever i appreciate your that's um good. okay so what trend two questions um first what trends are you seeing right now in the genres you work with well um one of the uh something that i'm noticing is i'm noticing 3d art is really uh is really making a big push and you know what i'm more okay with it now than i was back in 2013 in 2013 oh my gosh that's so and some so of it is bad. still really bad. Some of it is still super cringy. Some of it is stu- still super cringy. There's a lot of people who feel like because they're not actually drawing the the characters that they can just download Daz and it'll be fine. But it actually it requires a lot of skill and a lot of a lot of knowledge to create good 3D artwork. And I'm seeing people doing it really really well right now and I'm seeing people doing it really really poorly. Um, I think what that boils down to is assuming that you're not going to be doing your own cover, but you're uh, getting someone else to do your cover for you is there's also this thing that happens with 3D artists where they look at so much 3D all the time, they start to lose their recognition of the 3D-ness, if that makes sense. And they start saying, well, that looks photoreal. And I'm like, honey, that does not look photoreal. (laughs) But they've looked at it so much, they've lost that, um, the uncanny valley, I guess. So they, they can no longer recognize that kind of that plastic look. I call it the raw chicken look of, <laughs> uh, of 3D. It just, it's just looks a little raw, you know, it needs to be cooked a little longer. And I don't, I don't tend to like that. So even when I do use 3D in, in covers, I tend to do a lot of overpainting to kind of get rid of that, that, that raw chicken look. Um, but when you're finding somebody who, <laughs> To be perfectly honest, the very best 3D artists, you won't know that they're using 3D. 
you just won't, yeah. you won't be able to tell, you know, yeah. um, not necessarily that it will look photorealistic. It might look photorealistic or it might look illustrated. You know, there's a couple of different ways that you can go with that, but just make sure that you're really, really betting your, your prospective designers portfolio to see what they can do. I think that that's something that, um, more experienced authors are a little bit better at than beginning authors. I remember, um, uh, I've got, I guess, I would get a lot of comments of, oh, I see you're a designer. Can you do this? That's not a question you should ever be asking. You should be able to see evidence that they, yes, they can do it. They can do exactly what you need. Not the specific cover, but like the genre, the style, all of those mm -hmm. things. They, You have a lot of evidence in their portfolio that they can deliver the thing that you're after, you know, because otherwise you, you never want surprises at the end when the final draft is turned in. That, Surprises aren't good in that situation. The only surprise that is good is, oh my gosh, it's even better than I thought it would be. That's the only one. <laughs> the only one you want. But yeah, you will no avoid kidding. a lot of that just by making sure you vet that portfolio really, really well. I don't yeah. think it's as necessary to like be like to to mic necessarily micromanage the way your artist produces their art, you know. Mm -hmm. But just make sure that their portfolio shows the kind of art that you want. Yeah. Okay. I'm not uh, sure if I answered your original question. You I'm did. Kind of blanking on what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Current Sorry, genre expectations. Um, and there, yeah, no, there's a lot of 3D out there. Um, but okay, so ne my next question is, is it more important to meet current genre expectations or to stand out? No. <laughs> You're triggering me. <laughs> triggering <laughs> me a little bit with that. Okay, listen. <laughs> I know why authors want to stand out. I get it. I get it. We're creatives. We're creatives and we want to do something new and different and fresh. And you want, when you write a novel, I don't care what genre you write in. When you write a novel, you, you know, in your heart, it's different than everything else out there. It's different. You know, this is a different novel and you want your cover to show people how different it is. And that is almost always the wrong instinct. Almost always the wrong instinct. And the reason is because the cover, again, is not creative expression. It is communication, okay? The, the metaphor that I like to use is imagine you're at the bank and you're trying to do whatever it is that grown-ups do at the bank. <laughs> you're, you're, you've got to do something. You've got to talk to somebody about it. But you know, English, gosh, the way everybody pronounces all those English words, you heard it over and over and over again. Everybody pronounces it with some variation for accent pretty much the same way. And, you're, you know, it's a little boring, maybe a little cliched. You could spice it up a bit and pronounce them a little bit differently. Heck, you could probably even make it sound better, you know, with your unique pronunciation. <laughs> no one is going to have any idea what you're trying to say. You're going to stand out for all the wrong reasons. Now, there are some exceptions to this. Okay, listen. When you have a huge audience who are going to follow you no matter what you do, okay, that you could pull your books off of Amazon and start selling them on your website and your readers would follow you, okay? When you are that kind of author, make your own trends, okay? Um, at that point, you, you can push, you can push your, uh, you, you can take more chances. I feel like you can take more chances. Most authors, even most six-figure authors aren't necessarily going to be in that position. Does that make sense? So um, there are times and we can take which you can take chances. One of the places in which you can take more chances, I think, is like 
very niche and cross genre um, books where you're speaking to a very specific audience and it's a hungry audience and they're going to as long as they know that you're in their genre they're gonna they're gonna be a little bit more relaxed in what what they allow from you um but uh again remember that the cover is not for you it's not for you the author because i sometimes i will come across authors who will say, you know, I'm writing science fiction. I just, I don't like the way science fiction covers look right now. I prefer the way they look in the 60s. That's too bad because if you try to put a 60s cover on your book, nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna buy it, okay? The people, people who are looking for classic science fiction are buying classic science fiction, okay? That's what they're looking for author names that you're not gonna, that's not you, okay? So. Uh, there are times at which you just have to set aside your own personal preferences when you don't like the language that readers are currently responding to in a certain genre where you have to put away, put aside your personal preference and realize I'm not selling art, I'm selling a book, okay? And so whatever I have to put on the cover to sell this book to the right readers, that's what I need on the cover, regardless of whether or not it scratches a personal itch for me or if it's something that I want to put on my wall. Does that make sense? No. Do you have any thoughts on, like, it's, I know you do sci-fi and fantasy, so I'll ask specifically about these, but covers with people versus, like, I've, I recently, you know, I feel like the trend has been towards people on the covers, mm -hmm. but I recently mm -hmm. saw, like, you know, they were doing paranormal women's fiction, and it was going back to, like, mm -hmm. a symbol cover. Mm -hmm. Those killed it, but the authors were all popular, too. So, like you were mm -hmm. saying, it's hard to tell. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts? People are hard. I feel like as soon as you go with people, <laughs> it's like the degree people of difficulty goes up, you know, like, especially for illustrations. Hard. For illustrations and for 3D, honestly, th 3D, where 3D breaks down for me is the faces and, like, poses, you know? especially with their hands, their, the hands are always doing something weird like this, you know, it's just, um, 3D can sometimes break down with people. It's great for environments or for inanimate objects or vehicles, spaceships, fabulous for those, but it, it has a little difficulty when it comes to people. Um, I actually, um, uh, when under, she asked the question about uh, trends, is I did, I have noticed a shift in epic fantasy in particular um, to where there was, um, cause I'll go back to the way that I keep an eye on the trends and the way I encourage authors to keep an eye on the trend trends when they know what they'll be writing is to go to the bestseller lists of their genre, go to their bestseller list of their subgenre, you know, and see what's really selling and what language is being used on those covers. Cause that will shift over time. You know, what readers are responding to, it's going to shift over time. And so you, it doesn't shift super quickly, but you do want to keep an eye on as you as you're continuing to release books. You want to keep an eye on the language that is that's being used right now. And I want to say a couple of years ago, it was a lot more common to have in in the epic fantasy subgenre. The I want to say not just epic fantasy, sword and sorcery, the non contemporary fantasies is there was like that sweeping landscape with the little figure overlooking the landscape, and that was really really big. Um, and that ha there has been a shift towards more character-focused uh, covers. Um, in the last few times that I've looked over the bestseller list, almost all of them will will be really character-focused. So, um, uh, oh my gosh, 
ADHD, the strikes again. <laughs> Can you repeat your question? <laughs> I was just asking about like symbols versus people. If those right, can right. do well still in this environment, no, no, they can. They right, right, yeah, they can do well. Symbols can do well. See, you have you have four choices. You have a setting focused, a character focused, a symbol focused, or a text focused cover, and they can all work. Symbol focused and text focused covers, I personally feel, tend to be a little bit more um, of a risk than character set focused and setting focused. Character focused are usually the, in, mo, in most genres, most covers, the majority of covers are, cover, are character focused. And I think one of those reasons is human beings really like to look at other human beings. We enjoy looking at other human beings. Um, and so when it comes to design, that's the reason why um, you'll see in commercials, you know, uh, for a product, you don't just see still shots of the product. There are people in the commercial, interacting with the product it just sells better. You know, people just respond to that better. Um, setting focus can still really, really work. Science fiction is one of those areas in which setting focus, I mean, science fiction is, is so, uh, so defined by its setting that, you know, you stick a, the right spaceship in the right space gate and that can really, really do all your work for you. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't necessarily need a character. Symbol-focused and text-focused uh, covers can work. Um, I think that it can be a little bit harder to make them work simply because you have less material with which to communicate genre, you know? So you have to be really careful what those symbols are, you know? What, what symbols are you using and exactly what is, uh, what is communicating genre? Because that is the number one goal of a cover is to communicate genre. I, I would actually say that's even more important than it actually being a good cover or being good artwork is because I have seen the, the, the occasional DIY cover hit big, you know, and really, really sell a lot of books. And it, it would always make me scratch my head a little bit. How did that happen? It's a hand-drawn cover, <laughs> you know? But the one thing that they all had in common was they all communicated genre really, really well. So even though the artwork was not necessarily professional, it was very clear what kind of book that was. And so that's the number one job, job of, of the cover. So if you can use a, a symbol focus or a text focus cover and you can communicate those things that you need to communicate, I say, go for it. Um, it just, it reduces the number of work. Basically, if we're, if we're thinking of covers as language, it's reducing the number of words that you have to say in order to communicate what you need to say. Um, I think that in uh, with both cover, uh, uh, symbol focused and text focused, obviously with text focused, um, it becomes a lot more important, the typography. The typography becomes hugely important because typography can also communicate genre. Um, and so when you don't have an image doing, you know, when you don't have like a, a more complex image of a character in a setting or whatever, doing all that heavy lifting for you, the text has to shoulder more of that burden. Um, I've seen, for instance, I've seen some science fiction symbol-focused uh, covers that unless they had a super sci-fi-esque looking font, it wouldn't work because there's just not enough material there saying sci-fi, 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 you know? So they can work. They're a little bit riskier. Typography becomes more important. All right. Meanwhile, all the romance and mystery and thriller authors are like, what are you sci-fi fantasy people having so much trouble with? Because they can just go to the stock photo shop 
I'm not swearing, <laughs> stock photo sites and they can find what they need. The dragons are hard to find in stock photo they sites. Are. I don't know why. <laughs> Out of a whole lot of examples, people aren't willing to take pictures of their dragons yeah. or something. I know. So I did want to ask, I know pricing varies a lot, but for people who are wondering, you know, should I do a stock photo based site? Should I try to hire a model, you know, for a photo shoot or just, mm -hmm. uh, should I not just, but should I consider an illustration if it's appropriate in my genre? I was curious if you could give some kind of price ranges that authors should be looking at here in 2020. Uh, let me, let me, I've, I've got this written down. Got the graph, <laughs> a, a spreadsheet. Spreadsheet or something. Um, there, there are a few, there are a few things that are going to, um, determine what, uh, what kind of cover you can afford. Basically, I honestly think it's, it's better to look at what can I afford as an author? Um, and then, and then look at what kind of cover can I afford with that money? Does that make sense? So your goal is to get the best possible cover with what you can afford. Um, and, uh, the most, um, cost effective, uh, the most cost effective option for you is going to be a pre-made. Pre-mades, uh, serve all genres there. I've seen pre-mades for pretty much everything. It's really difficult to get a pre-made for non-fic. Um, it's not impossible to get a pre-made for non-fic, but non-fic tends to be super specific. And so pre-made for anybody who is aware, I, uh, pre-mades are made without a specific client or book in mind. Is So a designer will basically make it on spec in the hopes that somebody will see it and be like, that's right for my book, and they'll buy it. And then they'll put your name on it and your title on it. And it's it's the easiest for the designer, and it is the cheapest for the author. The problem, the, I, I don't, I don't want to say problem, because I think that a lot of... Um, beginning authors don't consider pre-mades when they should um, because you can get a really, really good pre-made um, that's going to sell your book better than a, than a custom cover by a less experienced designer, if that makes sense. Um, you can, you can, a pre-made can absolutely sell your book really well if you get a good one. Um, the thing with pre-mades is because of the way they're created, it's going to be a little le less bespoke. Some so you might it, it might be a little funny in the crotch and the short the sleeves might be a little a little bit too short you know what I'm saying but it's going to get the job done okay so um after after pre-mades you go into like the custom the custom realm and custom the the I, I would say the price range for pre-mades the price range for pre-made is probably going to be anywhere between fifty dollars fifty to a hundred dollars and 400. Um, and that's really going to depend on who you're getting it from. Um, and how much work went into the creation of the cover. Like for instance, if you, the, the, I really wouldn't go less than, I wouldn't pay less than $50, 50 to $75 for a pre-made. Um, because there, as the old saying goes, if it seems too good to be true, it'll get you sued for copyright violation. You know what I'm saying? So, when you're, when you're bargain, bargain hunting and it's, you want to be wise with your money, obviously, but, um, every industry has kind of, um, it has a shady area 
it has unscrupulous people attempting to serve. And it, every industry has one. And uh, indie publishing is not an exception. And so when you those prices get too low, that is one of the things to look at for are these images being sourced legally and ethically? You know, um, is this actually the designer's actual work? Because once you, once you crank down the price low enough, you have designers, if they were creating it themselves or if they're creating it, um, they're sourcing their, their resources legally, you have them literally working for cents per hour. And, uh, nobody's going to want to do that. At least not for very long. You know what I'm saying? So I would really go lo lower than 50 to $75 for a pre-made. Um, uh, it, it can get up higher for um, designers, really uh, sought after designers who maybe their customs are booked out for a year or two. And if you want a cover by that person, it's going to have to be a pre-made. And that can command quite a lot of money. Once you get into the custom cover realm, it starts to, um, the price is going to depend on how it's created. Um, so there's photo manipulation and is the most common way to create covers is using stock photos to create a cover. The, the, the difficulty that you get into with that is that the same stock that is available to your designer is going to be available to every other designer. Um, so all designers are working from the same resources. Now there's a lot of things that you can do, like the more images you work with, there's a lot of things that you can do to really, really create a very unique image with stock resources. But like I mentioned earlier, if you pay attention to covers in a certain genre, you'll see certain faces pop up over and over and over again, because those are the models that have enough material and they have the right material to appear on on book covers. And so designers are going back to that well over and over and over again. Um, that's not, it's honestly not a problem. Uh, even if you ended up with the exact same stock image on your cover as someone else, that's not as huge a problem as authors often think that it is. Um, but originality is going to cost you more money. So it either uh, more of uh, uh, the designer using more stock photos and putting a lot of time into that photo manipulation to make it really, truly unique. Um, or um, some, uh, another option is some people like to, like to hire their own photographer and their own models and get their costumes custom made and that sort of thing. Just understand that that also comes with a price tag and that can go into the thousands of dollars in order to, to pay for someone to take the photos and pay for the models and, pay for someone to do the hair and makeup and, you know, pay for the costumes and that sort of thing. It can get really, really pricey. But if that's something that you want to do and you have the flexibility in your budget to do that, there are people that can provide that service for you. Absolutely. Illustration, because illustration is um, very time consuming and there's, there's a high barrier to entry as far as skill goes. And there are, um, there are only a few of us who are doing it within the book cover industry. Um, that can also uh, uh, cost a lot of money. Usually, if you're looking for something that's that's a custom illustrated cover, you're going to be looking for, gosh, what kind of, it's probably going to be around $500 and up. Um, I, if, you, if you are able to find a beginning illustrator that can still get the job done, you know, you might be able to get it for less, but, uh, but around $500, and then it can go up to, uh, five to $1,500 is the range for custom illustrations. And then if you're going to somebody who is just one of the big 
if you're going to a god like Don DeSantos, for instance, you're going to be paying 10 grand for the cover. You know what I'm saying? The, really, the sky is the limit, depending on who, who you're, you're commissioning from. Um, for photo-manipulated covers, custom, I, I'd say that the range is probably between, starts at between $150, $250. Um, and it can go, it, it can get up to the, I don't know, I would, I would say six, $700 range, depending on who you're, who you're getting it from. There are certain, there are certain designers and certain artists that are very sought after. Um, because their their covers have done so well for their clients that a lot of people want to, and it's just it's, it's supply and demand. Um, the the further your your artist is booked out for, the more money that they can ask for, um, and that's just sort of the natural. I, I I understand why authors are sometimes a little bit cagey about the names of the designers that they work with, is because it's really difficult to start with baby little new new brand new designer here can you please let me you know put a cover on your book you know to hey i've got you know i've got uh, i'm completely booked out until 2024 if if you want on the schedule you're going to need to pay me $1500 that's not that's kind of a big leap to make um i i, I do encourage authors to remember that with their designers um if they become successful that's kind of what you're aiming for with your books is success on your creative product. Um, so uh, keep that in mind. And if you want to keep your designer under wraps, make sure your designer is okay with that. Some designers would be, hey, fine, you know, whatever you want, it's totally cool. There are even some designers who are willing to keep your covers out of their portfolio. Um, but usually in most cases, it's gonna cost you extra money. It's gonna, basically, it's gonna cost you the right of attribution. You're going to have to buy them out of their attribution in order to, in order to, to completely keep them under wraps. Where I feel like it's a little, um, unethical is, uh, where, where you don't have the, the artist is unaware that you are unwilling to, uh, at, uh, to give them attribution. Make sure it's not in the contract. Make sure it's okay with the artist. I think that's the ethical way to do it. Right. Now, it's it's funny you say that because I have had the same illustrator for almost all of my books. And I feel like it's actually helped my brand a little bit because even um, in different series, there's the same feel and the same level of polish uh, to each one. Plus, since he's been handling each of the different series, he's able to make the covers consistent within the series because he designed every other cover. Uh, so that leads to like, let's say you found a cover designer that you really like and you've worked together very well. Uh, Obviously, cover designers are going to have specialties. Uh, what happens when you, what happens when you leave that area of specialty with a new book? Uh, like mm -hmm. the consistency within your series is that so important that you should ask your designer to leave their area of specialty, or should you be focusing more on hitting the strengths of any given designer? Um, <clears throat> I think hmm, a lot of that's going to be a judgment call of exactly how far are you straying outside of their area of comfort? And are you trying, generally speaking, if you are leaving your genre, you have to make the decision of, are you trying to bring your current audience with you? Or are you trying to attract an entirely new audience? If you are shooting for an entirely new audience, there's not a whole lot of op overlap. I think that you should probably go for a new designer who really knows how to nail that, but if you're fairly confident that as long as your readers know this is one of your books, they'll come with you, 
you might have a little bit more flexibility with your designer. I do think it's important to try to play to your strengths for the, your designer for a couple of a couple of reasons. Is first of all, you'll get a better cover, and everybody is everybody has their has the things that they're good at. For instance, I'm really not super great at nonfic. I just I don't have the eye for it, you know, and I don't do it enough. Um, um, Sci-fi and fantasy are my favorites. I've done a little bit of romance, but I'm not super comfortable with romance. I'm not. That's just not my area of expertise. I'm just a lot better with the sci-fi and fantasy genres and subgenres. I I have done a little bit of horror. Again, just it's just not it's not my uh it's not my 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 realm of expertise. And there's a if you are asking your designer to do something that they're good at, there's a couple of things that'll happen is you're going to get a better cover and they're going to enjoy the process. There are certain covers. I just, the reason I don't do them is because I don't like them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so I, sometimes I will have, I'll have a repeat client come back to me and say, Hey, I need another cover. And I'm like, yes, get to do more dragons. And they're all like, this one is a, is a, I'm trying to think of something they'll, they'll bring, bring something to me that is not something I often do. And I'll be like, Oh, well, okay, if you really want to, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So um, it, it's going to be a little bit of a judgment call. How far outside your your um, your uh, designer's comfort zone is it? And exactly how important it is for you to really hit that genre bullseye head on. I mean, is, is the health and welfare of your new series going to, going to is that going to make or break it? Um, if it's within the same series, if it's, if it's within the same series and it's just, it's the same genre, but the, but maybe the, the, the subject material of, of the, of the books has changed and you want to put something new on the cover, I'd probably say stick with your designer, especially if it's illustration. If it's illustration, you really, if you have an illustrator, you really want to have a good relationship with that illustrator and hang on to them because listen, I, I hear all the time um, there are in communities on Facebook, people are all like, I'm trying to find somebody who can illustrate in this style. Can you, can you, um, can you copy, can you copy this style or can you imitate the style of my previous illustrator? And illustrators will be like, Oh yeah, I can do that. I Listen, they can't, they can't. Okay. Your illustration is like a fingerprint. It looks like your illustration. And there's a little bit that you can do to change that. Um, but I, I almost never, never see that work out quite right. Now, can they imitate it enough to get by? Maybe, maybe. Um, but illustration really is unique to the illustrator. And if you want that sense of consistency that you talked about, that you're able to get from your illustrator who does all of your covers, if you want that sense of sameness so that without maybe even seeing your author name, your audience knows that that's one of your books. Um, do, do what you can to, to create, uh, to find the right illustrator and create a good working relationship with them because that will help sell your books to your existing audience. You're making really good points. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, so, okay. So you mentioned earlier about legal images and things like that. How do, um, authors know if an image is legal or not? Well, 
there are for, the first thing I want to put out there is that a lot of authors, um, uh, especially if they're doing their covers themselves, they will use something like Pixabay or one of the free image sites that are out there. Please don't do this, okay? You want to pay for your images. The reason I say that is because in most of the places where you don't have to pay for your images, most of the, those websites make no legal guarantees to you that the image that they're providing you is there legally, okay? Most of these sites allow contributors to contribute images that can then be distributed for free. Most sites like Pixabay, there's nothing in their terms of service that says we guarantee that all of these that all of these uh, uh, images are public domain or there has been a release from the copyright holder, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's a sort of uh, play at your own risk sort of thing because that because of that a lot of stolen artwork ends up on these sites and you won't know okay until a fan of one of these and I've seen this happen I'm speaking of an actual event okay um the fan of the artist whose artwork was stolen and placed on the free site notices their their favorite artist's artwork on your book and they're like hmm doesn't seem legit you know and then they go back to their artist of the artist and say, did you know that your artwork is on this person's book? The person that's going to be dinged is not your designer. It's going to be you. Okay. It is going to be you. If there is any legal action, you are the one that is going to be taken that fall. So it's really important that you, I think that's one of the reasons why, um, really scraping the bottom of that, of that bargain barrel, you know, usually isn't a good idea when it comes to hiring a designer. Um, most designers, when they are legally sourcing their images, they will be sourcing it from a reputable stock site like Shutterstock, Posit Photos, uh, iStock Photo, Big Stock, that sort of thing. These sites in their terms of service guarantee that the images they provide you, uh, are, are, that they have the right to license them to you. They actually will guarantee it to you legally up to a certain dollar amount for damages. So a certain number of thousands of dollars, they will guarantee that so that you're, it, so that you're not liable for any legal action that comes at you because of, uh, um, an image that was not theirs to be. So because of that, they have a, a very vested interest in making sure that the images that they provide you are legal and that you, they have the right to license them to you. And nobody's going to come after you afterwards. The free stock site, there is none of that protection. If you are, um, if you are working with a new designer and you just want to make sure that they're sourcing their images, uh, illegally, you can ask them to take a screenshot of their, when you, when you are in deposit photos, for instance, and you license an image, there's a, there's a page in your, a, an account page, um, on the site that lists all of the images that you have licensed. You can ask them for a screenshot to show that they have licensed the images that they're using uh, in your cover. That is completely legitimate to ask for. A designer should absolutely not get all puffy or annoyed with you for wanting to have that reassurance that your cover is going to be something that you're not going to have to uh, get sued for or have to take down and put another one up because there was something hinky. It's a little bit more difficult when it comes to illustration and, uh, uh, when it comes to illustration and 3d renderings, 
for 3D, you can ask them for a, um, a screenshot of their workspace as they're putting together the 3D image. Um, for illustrators, as long as they're, I, I, I firmly believe that when you're working with an illustrator, you should be able to see every step, okay? You should be able to see the sketch, the rough paint, the details, that they should be giving you updates every, every once in a while I'll talk to um, an author who has hired an illustrator who says, well, I gave them my brief and they disappeared and three months later they popped up with a cover. That's no good, okay? That is a really good way to uh, end up with an expensive cover you can't use. You know, there should, uh, there should never be any surprises. So make sure when you're hiring an illustrator specifically that you ask them what their process is and when are you going to be able to when are they at what points will they update you when will you be able to give feedback and that sort of thing so long as the illustrator can take you through the whole process show you the sketches um show you the rough paint you can be pretty well it's not foolproof okay um but you can you can be pretty well assured that uh the the artwork is legitimate so see this is really as, good information <laughs> as long as you're not paying in one instance that I saw, there was a woman who the, the guy, it ended up the illustrator had overpainted another famous artist's painting um, and had made it look like he'd sketched it out by tracing it and then looked like he was painting it and that sort of thing. It turned out that she was only paying him $100 for the painting, which is criminally low, criminally low. When a painting takes you between 20 and 40 hours, I want you to do that math, okay? That the math is no good. It doesn't work. <laughs> so so again, pay attention to how much you're paying for the work that you're receiving. And if it's more along the lines of what you would like to be paid for that amount of work, it's more likely to be legitimate work. You said the math is no good and my four year old like was like, Math is too good. <laughs> <laughs> math is good, buddy. You can do it. Um, okay. So, um, how important, I know you mentioned contracts. Um, how can authors know, I mean, you need to have a contract between you and your cover designer, I'm assuming that's what you're going to recommend. And then what do they know or how do they know if they're protected and what should be in that contract? It's important to have an agreement. I wouldn't always say you need a full contract full of legalese that you need your lawyer to look over. Okay. But you need an agreement. In most cases, the agreement is simply to lay out your expectations and the designer's expectations in black and white so you both understand each other there's no misunderstandings and if anything comes up you can refer back to the protocol in the contract you know so an agreement will do that as well it's it's important from a legal standpoint in most cases from a legal standpoint the contract isn't necessarily going to protect you legally for this for the the sole reason that it may not seem that way, but most covers are very low, uh, low stakes investment. Okay. They're very, um, if you're paying, nobody's going to take you to court over $250. You know what I'm saying? Um, well, it depends. It depends on how much you piss them off. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, um, so I, I, I encourage you to always act ethically okay with the people with which you do business for a number of reasons first of all because it's the right thing to do second of all okay designers talk to each other there is a community and it's actually fairly small and so if you screw 
over your designer, you're going to find a lot of designers who don't want to work with you. You know what I'm saying? This is, this happens in every industry. You can gain a reputation um, for yourself if you behave uh, unethically or illegally um, with your service providers. You can gain a rep reputation for that just as much as you can gain a reputation for being an awesome client and you know always pays on time, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It goes it goes both ways. So um, the contract, the biggest value of the contract is so that the designer knows uh, what you want and you know what the designer expects. And the things that really ought to be contained in, uh, in a contract are you want to have, um, you want to have a summary of what they're going to do for you. Okay. So the kind of, the kind of, uh, uh, work that they're doing for you, you want to, it to have covered what the deliverables are going to be. What are they going to give you? Uh, what, um, what are they going to give you? Uh, what, what file types can you expect from them? Is it just an ebook that you're getting from them? Or are they also going to provide a print wrap? You know, that's not something that you want to have mistaken until later when you're like, well, where's the print wrap? Well, you didn't buy a print wrap from me. You know, that's, it's an uncomfortable situation to be in. Um, you want to have, uh, the dates that like any deadlines, um, when the time frame at which you can expect the work to be turned around. And you also want to have the, the manner in which you are allowed to use the work. This is the rights that you are licensing from the creator. Now in, in the United States and in, uh, uh, the UK and Australia and most of the EU, okay, copyright works roughly the same way is that copyright automatically rests with the creator at the moment it is created. The moment you write, you know, that paragraph in your book, it's yours. You don't have to send it off to a copyright registration company or anything like that in order to have the copyright. You created it, copyright is yours. That also applies to your artist, even though they are creating the artwork based on your ideas, okay? It's not yours automatically simply because the idea was yours. You can't copyright an idea. You can only copyright the expression of the idea. So the words that you write, okay, describing your characters, you have the copyright for that. The image that I paint describing that character, that same character, I own the copyright for that. Now you can negotiate with your designer for the rights that you want. Um, there are some misunderstandings because of, of some laws that changed in the 1990s um, to better protect creators with the work for hire laws. Okay, because I hear this brought up a lot. A lot. What a, isn't it work for hire? It's only work for hire in two situations. Okay, you have a contract with the artist that specifically says this is work for hire, or they are your employee legally, your employee as recognized by the IRS. Um, and you have control over where they work, equipment they use, when they do it, how they do it, all of those things an employer typically will control, okay? Um, so those are the only two instances in which it's work for hire. Now, if you want to make sure that your designer transfers all rights to you, that is entirely legit, but you're going to have to pay more, okay? You will have to pay more. I've had a lot of people come to me and say, Hey, well, when, 
I was, uh, when my, my company worked with these designers to create our product packaging, we got everything. We got the layered files, we got the source files, we got the vectors, we got everything. And we got complete rights to do whatever we want to them. Yeah, but that was a $15,000 contract, okay? And I guarantee you that the dollar amount for those rights was all factored in by the design company's accounting department, okay? So when you're paying $250 for a cover, you're not necessarily going to get the same thing because not everybody needs the full taco. You know what I'm saying? Any right that you want, like there's certain things like rights of modification, rights of attribution, that sort of thing, you can get those from your artist, most likely. But you will probably have to pay more than that base dollar amount for your cover. Um, specifically, one that I think that gets a little bit misunderstood is the right of modification. When I illustrate uh, 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 artwork for somebody's cover, they cannot then go and get another artist to change the face on this character. You know what I'm saying? That violates my, violates my right of, of modification unless, unless they negotiate that with me beforehand. Um, in most cases, I also don't allow a client to change the text themselves uh, unless we've agreed on this, okay? For the reason that I, I build myself not just as an artist, but also a designer. So if you go in there and you slap Comic Sans on that cover, okay, and put Papyrus, it out in the world, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> or, or Scriptina, you know, <laughs> don't do it. Um, then all of a sudden people are like, oh, I thought, didn't, didn't Vivid Covers do that cover? Oh, I thought they were better than that, <laughs> you know? So there is a legitimate risk to my livelihood that I have to reckon with, okay? I'm willing to do that for my clients as long as the price is right. You know what I'm saying? So if there's a right you want, you can probably get it, but expect to pay for it. That's the way the world works. That's the way the art industry works. That's the way every industry works. If you were, if you were signing a contract with a publisher and the publisher wanted more rights over your work than, than the, what's basically provided for, you would almost certainly ask them for more money. That's how, that's how rights work. So when you have an agreement with your, with your designer, just make sure you understand what you're getting, when you're getting it, and how you are allowed to use it. And remember that when you get hit with a hit, when, you're, when your artist provides you with a contract or an agreement, it's always negotiable. It is always negotiable. If there's something that you're uncomfortable with, about it, or if there's something that you would, would rather was in it, have the conversation. It's one, one of the, there are a couple of things about working with artists, with, with authors that have surprised me. And one of them is the unwillingness to communicate. <laughs> Y'all use words for a living. Surely we can talk about things. Is So if there's something you don't like, say something. Also, when it, when it comes to like the feedback process, for, for your cover. They show you a draft. Don't say you like it if you don't like it, okay? Talk to us. We're human beings. We want you to be happy. Not only do we want you to be happy with the work we do for you, we want the work we do for you to make your book sell like hotcakes because that's we have a common goal. So when it comes to either the design agreement or when it comes to the brief or when it comes to the feedback loop, communicate. It's really, it's, it's 
a huge part of the, the author designer relationship is just the willingness to communicate, say when something looks right, say when it doesn't. Um, uh, I, I, I would hope that you would be kind, <laughs> especially when giving feedback. Imagine, I, especially, honestly, authors and writers, uh, authors and um, artists are very, very similar. So when your designer sends you the draft, Imagine someone has just sent you their manuscript for feedback, you know, <laughs> you're beta reading somebody's manuscript. Obviously, if there are problems, you want to tell them what the problems are. Maybe, maybe don't be, don't, don't say hate it, you know, just don't use the word hate. Maybe hate's not the right word to use. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Anyway, oh, I hope that answers your question. All right. We've been talking to you for over an hour, so we actually have oh a couple goodness. Facebook questions. Well, hopefully, if you're not tired, we're good. I just don't want to keep you too long. No, we had a I'm couple good. of uh, Facebook questions, so I wanted to make sure we could. I've, I've, I've dubbed the children on Jeff, so we're good for now. <laughs> All right, cool. And he's not in the closet. He's he's in his own part of the house. <laughs> not in the closet. Yes, as we were discussing before recording. But um, so question from Bethany. What's the etiquette around starting a series with one designer, but not ordering all the covers at once? Also, when and how can you ask to have the templates of a design so another designer could finish the job if the first one disappears? Because mm -hmm. I, I tell you, I've had a lot of illustrators disappear and just go AWOL. Not so much cover designers, but illustrators. I don't know that read. So flaky. So flaky. Um, okay. The etiquette is no designer likes to lose a client it's we don't like it okay but at the same time we know we can't hold you hostage <laughs> we can't hold you hostage in your series at least i hope that all desi designers if you were watching this you can't hold your authors hostage okay um so the etiquette behind behind it is what you first of all be upfront with them about what you want okay and what you're after um, you're not always in a financial position to order up 10 book covers or, you know, for, to, for a, all at once for a series, or maybe the series will grow past what you, what you think it will be. Um, you may be able to, you, you're going to have to talk to the specific designer. Here's the funny thing about all of the, all of the, the stuff that I lay out, lay out about designers is it's kind of the wild west out there. You know, designers are freelancers because we didn't want a design studio telling us what to do. <laughs> so everybody is going to be doing it a little bit, a little bit differently. They're going to have their own way to do it, but you should be able to ask your designer, Hey, listen, you honestly, you as an author should be able to change designers for any reason, any reason whatsoever. Okay. It doesn't mean that your designer is not going to be disappointed. And I don't know, they may, they may be a little sad when you go, especially if it's, a, if it's a situation where they've done really good work for you, but you've found someone on Fiverr who'll do it for half the price. You know what I'm saying? Um, as long as, as long as you are, you are honest and, um, you're communicative with your, with your designer. I actually, because this is such a, such a tricky, um, thing to navigate a lot of times for authors is in in the, the cover of your book but I actually wrote sample emails of how to talk to your designer when you can't afford them anymore <laughs> what how to talk to your designer if they have just done a bad job and you don't want to work with them anymore those are tricky conversations to have I think just just be be honest be kind and be upfront with the information you know what I'm saying in most cases uh I 
have never given out templates, okay, of, of the work. What I do with my clients is I will usually give them a list if I know they're moving on and they need this information. Honestly, I'll give them this information even if they're not going to move on just in case I get hit by a bus or something. You know what I'm saying? Is give them a list of uh, the fonts that you have used on the cover. In most cases, your designer can't claim any kind of copyright to the branding of your book with the exception being logos. But if you have gotten a, a unique logo from a designer, they should be assigning you all of the copyright. That should be in, that should be provided for in the contract for the logo is because you need to have control over the branding of your product. So make sure that that's happening. But aside from like unique logos or like specific, if they make their own type of typographical glyphs, um, for your, for your book or modify topographic, typographic, <laughs> typographical glyphs, um, if they modify through those, that, those are the only instances in which they could claim any copyright over the branding of your book. Just because it is so ubiquitous, everybody uses the same font, fonts. Generally speaking, it all goes in the same place. They can't, in most cases, they can't claim copyright over the, the branding elements. So another designer should be able to, uh, pick up where they left off if necessary, regardless of whether or not the original designer gives permission. Okay. That said, in the design community, most designers prefer to get the go-ahead from the original designer, even if it's not a copyright issue, because it's a professional courtesy issue. So the only time that gets sticky is when you're trying to, on the down low, sneak away from your designers so they don't know that you fired them because you don't want to have that conversation. <laughs> um, your new designer will not, it's going to be an awkward situation for your new designer if they have, if they, if their circles cross with the other designer at all, you're not going to appreciate that. So be a business person, have the conversations that you need to have, but it should be absolutely, in almost every case, it should be absolutely fine to at least get um, a list of the fonts that they used and the text effects that they used so that a new designer can replicate that. They, your, your designer, especially if there's no contract or deposit in place, your designer should not be expecting for you to continue the entire series with with you simply because you asked for a single cover. You know what I'm saying? So I hope that answers your question. For authors who don't like confrontation, they'd be like, maybe I'll just start a different series and then I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> All right, one more. Um, EM asks, how do you deal with customers like me who don't know what they want until they see it? Ooh, okay. That is a complete and absolute non-starter with a designer because basically what you're asking them for is to do a lot of work you're probably not going to pay them extra for. If I ever hear a, I don't know what I want, but I'll know it when I see it, I will usually recommend that the client find somebody else to work with because I'm not willing to do 10 hours of work to find out what you want. That's all stuff that you can find on your own, okay? Um, before you come to your designer, um, with a brief, you need to provide, you need to provide them with a brief, what your, what your cover is about. You need to do some research. So you need to see what kind of covers your, uh, your, your genre that are common in your genre. Um, see what, what other best-selling authors in your genre are putting on their covers. Uh, what is speaking to your audience right now? Um, and you're going to need to make some decisions before you come to, uh, 
the before you come to the table with your designer. Now, you can absolutely involve, involve your designer in that process so long as you're not expecting them to make cover after cover before you say, oh, that's the one I like, unless you are willing to pay them for every cover they produce for you. Does that make sense? Nobody wants to work for free. So there is a certain amount of back-end work that you're going to need to do for yourself um, uh, to, to find out what you're... One of the things that I love for clients to do when they're providing me with a brief is to, um, is to actually send me links to books of covers that they like or that have a similar tone or a feel to what they're going for or that they really like the color palette or they really like how the character is silhouetted, you know, you know, if, if there are aspects of the cover of covers that you like, abs- we are visual people. You know how authors are word people, artists are, are visual people. And so one of the, a great way to get across the kind of cover that you're looking for is to send us images. And we can not only get a feel for how you want your, your cover to look or what's going to speak to your audience, but also what your preferences are as an individual, because we want you to be, ha- be happy with, with that, uh, with that end result as well. So you can involve, especially if you really don't have a whole lot of expertise knowing, you know, what, what kind of, what is the right marketing strategy for my cover? You can involve your cover designer in that process of discovering what it is that you, you really want on your cover. Just don't expect that to be a, here, I'll provide you with a stream of covers until one really hits your fancy. You know what I'm saying? That makes an awful lot of sense. All right, we're going to ask one more question here, and it's one specifically references you, so we'll go with that one. Uh, Shout out from JDL Roselle, who says Rebecca is a great artist and designer, and he jokingly asks, what mistakes have I made when we've collaborated on covers, Rebecca? Ah, JDL. Okay, your covers have all all been super fun for me to do. You just right up my alley. I think, (laughs) I don't think you've made any mistakes as a client. I think that there have been a couple of covers that we've done together together that have been a little challenging for me as an artist. And I've had to like grow a little bit to figure out how to, one of the things that can sometimes be difficult and you have to get real creative to find ways around it is when your client wants a cover that says genre, but they don't want any of the symbols that say genre. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So Oh, we can't have any magic. Oh, no swords. Darn it. So she doesn't carry a sword. So, uh, no, um, no dragons, no castles, you know, and you start ticking off that, that list of things that can't be on it. You're like, crap, how do we do this? Um, so I remember a particular cover that we worked on where it was a little bit of a struggle is how do we make sure that this says the genre that we're in? However, just, just as a side note to authors, you have a little bit more freedom the further you get into a series. Okay, this, the first cover in a series is the most important one because you have a blank slate. You are establishing something new and, and you really need to communicate really strongly what the genre is. You have a little bit more freedom with subsequent covers. That, does, that isn't to say that you shouldn't pay attention to making sure the cover does, does what it needs to do because you'll probably on, on some, you, you never know what cover is going to be the one that the reader sees first and is going to reel them into your series. But you do have a little bit more flexibility um, uh, the further you get into a series. But I'm, I'm super proud of the covers that I did for, for JDL. 
Roselle. I think we did, we did great work, great work. And I had a lot of fun. Excellent answer. Very tactful. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know how anything about your cover, so I'm sure they're awesome. But that's kind of, I realized as we asked, I was like, that, that's kind of like a tricky question. You know, I mean, dude, you suck. What did I do wrong? On the podcast. Let me tell you all the ways you sucked. Um, but no, we would, we've really enjoyed talking with you today. And before we go, could you tell us a little bit about, um, remind us the name of the book and like what's in it. You've mentioned sample letters mm-hmm. in case you need to break up with your designer or have difficult conversations. What, what all is in there that um, people will get to check it out? What was the first thing you asked me to do? So tell us about your book so people okay. will go buy okay, it. Right. Wait, what's the name? It's called Cover Your Book. It's called Cover Your Book. That's the, that's the title. It's got a really long subtitle that if I try to remember it right now, I'm going to embarrass myself. But it's basically just the process from beginning to end of when you're just first starting to think about, I'm going to need a cover for this book that I'm writing all the way through, you know, doing research on your genre. I show you how to look at the bestseller lists, how to make a list of the symbols, what, what is most common in your, your genre, what's selling books right now. I show you a whole process that I do when I am researching a genre or when I'm trying to keep myself up to date on what the trends are in a, in a genre as far as covers go. Um, all the different kinds. Honestly, I put every scrap of information that I possibly could into this book when it relates to every single question I've ever gotten from authors. Um, I went on Facebook in a couple of places and I pulled authors. I was like, what do you want to know? What about the process of covers is most intimidating to you? What information do you wish that you had had the first time you did it? You know, so whether you have never commissioned artwork for a cover before or you have commissioned artwork for 25 covers i i can almost guarantee you'll learn something you'll still learn something new um so we go over contracts we go over uh the feedback process with uh with like how do you avoid being that client that your designer is gonna like you know be on facebook posting despairing vague memes you know (laughs) because they got another email from you you know (laughs) you know how to conduct yourself professionally how to build a good working relationship with your designer, how to find the right designer. And then once you found the right designer, hang on to that designer so that they won't want to continue to work with you. Um, where to look for a designer and also how to handle those really awkward, uh, uh, sometimes awkward um, exchanges where you have to tell somebody that they didn't provide you with good work or you have to tell somebody that um, they've blown one deadline too many and it's, you're done, you know, or you have to tell somebody that uh, they've raised their prices and you just can't afford them anymore, et cetera, et cetera. You know, how to handle conflict in a professional way um, and uh, just how to be a great client and to get good work out of your designers. So I, I, I did as much as I could to cover all of those bases. All right. Sounds like a good read. And I have to ask, people will be curious, are you taking on clients and, and where can they check you out? I am taking on clients. Um, my uh, website URL is www.vividcovers.com. Um, they, you can find me on Facebook. You just look up Rebecca Haskell, you'll probably find me. Or we also have a Facebook group for Vivid Covers. Come if, if, if there's anything yeah. I don't answer Stock here. Stop the group because <laughs> I think I'm in it, and there's you answer questions and stuff. Right. So if there's anything I haven't answered here, or I don't answer in the book, burning questions come at me. I'll I'll answer them for you. All right. Thank you very much for joining us today. You guys have anything else before we go? No. 
No. Kids are roaming around in the background <laughs> at Andrea's house. It's time. Yeah, coming up thank on you dinner for time. Me. Thank All right, you. well, thank you. And thank you for listening, everyone. And thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. You can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. And check out Vivid Covers and cover your book. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. So long, everybody. <laughs>